This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. The Italian Prime Minister Mario Draghi offered his resignation to the President after losing the support of a key ally in his coalition government, only to have it rejected. Earlier, Mr Draghi won a vote of no confidence, but with the populist five-star movement boycotting. Mr Draghi said that the pact of trust which had sustained the coalition had therefore been broken. A former head of the European Central Bank, Mr Draghi has held the office since February 2021, helping to stabilise Italian politics. Gotabaya Rajapaksa officially resigned as President of Sri Lanka by sending a formal letter to the Speaker of Parliament. Mr Rajapaksa fled the country earlier this week amid an economic collapse and huge popular protests and is currently holing up in Singapore. An official announcement on the matter is expected on Friday. America's President Joe Biden and Israel's Prime Minister Yair Lapid signed a joint pledge to prevent Iran from obtaining nuclear arms. America declared itself, quote, prepared to use all elements of its national power to stop Iran developing the weapons, implying military force as a last resort. The Iranian government said any, quote, mistake made by its enemies would be met with a, quote, harsh and regrettable response. After a second round of voting in the contest to succeed Boris Johnson as leader of the Conservative Party, and thus Britain's next Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak topped the poll again. But Penny Mordaunt, the Trade Minister, also made a strong showing among the party's MPs. Her campaign is still gathering momentum. Suella Braverman, the Attorney General, was knocked out of the contest after coming in last. Christopher Waller, a governor of the Federal Reserve, indicated that America's central bank is mulling a whole percentage point bump to its benchmark interest rate. Mr Waller says he favours the move instead of another increase of 75 basis points, as was ordered in June. This week's high inflation readings startled the Fed and its watchers and may provoke a drastic decision when it meets later this month. Russian missiles struck the city of Vinnytsia in central Ukraine on Thursday, killing at least 23 people, including three children, according to Ukrainian officials. Another 66 people were wounded. The strikes were launched from a Russian submarine in the Black Sea, officials said. Meanwhile, more than 40 countries pledged to work together to investigate alleged Russian war crimes in Ukraine. Two big American banks, J.P. Morgan Chase and Morgan Stanley, both released results showing that their net incomes fell by around 30% in the second quarter of the year. Sharper-than-expected falls in investment banking revenue pulled down the overall results. At Morgan Stanley, revenue from the investment banking fell 55%. And fact of the day, 750,000 the estimated number of illegal guns in Kenya. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Counting the cost of COVID in China. Cases of COVID-19 have edged up in China this month, making everyone nervous about future lockdowns. 
Some residents of Shanghai were briefly confined to their buildings in recent days, an unwelcome reprise of their torment in April and May, when the city imposed a hastily executed and harshly enforced lockdown. The economic damage such measures can inflict will be plain to see in GDP figures released on Friday. Analysts expect that China's economy grew by only 1% or so in the second quarter, compared with a year earlier. That would be the worst figure since the data began in 1992, bar the first three months of 2020 when the pandemic was at its height. The government is lining up over 7 trillion yuan, $1 trillion, of financing for a recovery effort in the remainder of the year, according to Morgan Stanley, a bank. But every time the economy tries to bounce back, the virus stages a recovery of its own. Realpolitik in Arabia After the rapture of Joe Biden's pilgrimage to Israel, land of biblical prophets, democracy, and tech, comes penitence in Saudi Arabia. America's president once vowed to make the country, quote, a pariah. Now he must beseech it to pump more oil to bring down global prices. Mr. Biden has some fig leaves. One is that his self-mortification will help Israel by pushing the Saudis towards normalization and isolating Iran. A second is that he is not really visiting Saudi Arabia on Friday, but attending a summit of Arab countries in Jeddah. A third is that the risk of COVID means he will not be shaking hands with anyone. Least of all, Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince. Alas, the Saudis will not go much further in embracing Israel until it makes peace with the Palestinians, and they remain aligned with Russia on oil policy. As for avoiding physical contact, the tactile Mr. Biden already abandoned fist bumps in Israel. The president's discomfort in Saudi Arabia will be plain to see. An Extraordinary Meeting in Russia Russia's parliament mostly exists to rubber-stamp decisions made by the president, Vladimir Putin. His party, United Russia, controls 325 of the 450 seats. So, the fact that members of the Duma were told to return from their summer holidays early for an extraordinary meeting on Friday could spell trouble for Ukraine. The parliamentary leader of United Russia said at least 60 items are on the agenda. One of them could be to confirm the promotion of Denis Mansarov, the trade and industry minister, to deputy prime minister. Mr. Mansarov will have a mandate to revive Russia's industrial capacity. This could signal increased economic mobilization for the war. On July 5th, the Duma passed a bill compelling Russian businesses to aid the military effort if necessary. Two days later, Mr. Putin suggested to the chamber's leaders that what he calls Russia's, quote, special military operation in Ukraine has yet to start in earnest. Ukraine and the West will hope that amounts to little more than bluster. A rocket under Ukraine's defenses. Ukraine's armed forces are eagerly awaiting further deliveries of a weapon which might tilt the war in their favor. America has already donated eight high-mobility artillery rocket systems, HIMARS. Britain is supplying some, too. Each HIMARS launcher fires GPS-guided missiles up to 84 kilometers, and they're making an immediate impact. Around 20 Russian ammunition dumps on Ukrainian soil have gone boom since the first rockets arrived in late June. So have barracks and command posts. Ukrainian commanders are delighted. Russia might adapt by dispersing and disguising its headquarters and depots, 
but this could make it trickier to get artillery ammunition to the front lines. And things could get worse for the Russians. America has not yet sent M77 anti-artillery rounds, which can disperse 8,000 bomblets in fewer than 60 seconds. Nor has it provided the longest-range munitions, known as TACMs, which can be fired 300 kilometers. That would put every single soldier in Ukraine in the crosshairs. Medallion Women and Men in Oregon A clean sweep by a national team in the 100-meter sprint, the highlight of the World Athletics Championship, is almost unheard of. But at this year's competition, which begins in Oregon on Friday, it could happen in both the men's and the women's races. Three female Jamaican sprinters, Elaine thompson Hurrah, Shelly Ann Frazier-Price, and Sherika Jackson, filled the podium at the Tokyo Olympics last summer. And they have run the five fastest times in the world so far this year. In the men's competition, Team USA has four contenders. Fred Curley won silver in Tokyo and is the only man to have run under 9.8 seconds this year. Trayvon Bramel, who was favored in Tokyo before crashing out in the semifinals, has the second fastest time this year. Marvin Bracey and Christian Coleman, the defending 100-meter champion, are also running. And Lamont Marcel Jacobs, the Italian who beat them all in the Olympics, has been struggling with injuries ever since. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Friday what was the birth name of the boxer Muhammad Ali? Thursday, which Disney cartoon character, a rabbit, was created before Mickey Mouse? The winners of last week's crossword. Thank you to everyone who took part in our new weekly crossword, published in the weekend edition of Espresso. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Satyan Hombali, Pune, India, North America, Corian Kershi, Ontario, Canada, Central and South America, Daniel Cosio, Cochamba, Bolivia, Europe, Kevin Connolly, Espo, Finland, Middle East and Africa, Niharika Mitra, Dubai, UAE, Oceania, Verstein Yazdan Perast, Lane Cove, Australia. They all gave the correct answers of Boris Johnson, Berlin, Jokes, and Nature. Check back tomorrow for this week's crossword. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Emmeline Pankhurst, who was born on this day in 1858. Justice and judgment lie often a world apart. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app 
to start listening.